Hi, welcome to the Sociology Talk podcast. My name is Andres Sanchez, and on this episode, we will be speaking to Hala Alnajar. She's going to share her story about what it's like to be a PhD student. Okay, welcome to uh, a new episode of, uh, you know, what are sociology students doing today? Um, we have here Hala Alnajar, who is currently a PhD, PhD student at uh, University of Merced, correct? Um, and she had actually gone to uh, CSUB as a sociology major and uh, had graduated and as, uh, was it 2014, 13? 2016, I, oh, okay. or is that right? Yes, 2016, <laughs> it, calculating time right now is difficult, but yeah, 2016 yeah. is when I, when I graduated. <laughs> okay, for sure. Um, and so um, we, we welcome you here and thank you for coming and um, devoting some time to us and the sociology students that really wanna know your story. Um, so uh, with that, I'll welcome you if you wanna open up with any um, information about you um, and maybe why you decided to become a sociology major, uh, what, I guess, what drew you to sociology? Yeah, so I always say um, lately as I'm gearing up towards finishing my PhD, I'm constantly having conversations about how I ended up here. Um, and I always say that I literally fell into it, having absolutely no clue what I was getting into. Um, you know, I was a first gen student. No one in my family had attended college before. Um, I went to orientation, having some perspective of maybe what I wanted to do. The career floating around in my head was social work for no real apparent reason. That's just, mm -hmm. it interested me. And so I, I vividly remember, you know, we had the first general point of orientation and then they broke us up by major. I did not know what I wanted my major to be at that, that point. And they had people <laughs> with signs with the major written on it. And I saw sociology and I thought, well, that sounds close to social work. So that should be probably where I should go. So <laughs> went there because I didn't see a sign that said social work and I was like okay I guess that's not a major news mm -hmm. to me. Um, so I went to sociology not knowing anything about it whatsoever not really having a passion for it just thinking it would be a you know a checkpoint towards this career in social work that I thought I wanted at the time um, and then I took intro to sociology and that was my first exposure into what this actually was and it was just something that immediately resonated and interested me. Um, it was a matter of seeing terms being put on things that I had already observed in my life, uh, thinking that I was, you know, kind of crazy and thinking that I was seeing things around me and patterns. <laughs> you know, I, I had some awareness of like gender inequity and things like that, but I'd never saw terms placed on that. I'd also never heard people talk about it in this very, you know, broad scope of applying it and that there's multiple people that experience this and that there's all these other factors that influence it. And, um, you know, I remember I, I took the class with Dr. Dugan, um, who's amazing and was mm -hmm. the perfect person to have that intro class with. <laughs> and I remember her just giving some examples that were so personal, but, you know, still resonated with me and her talking about you know, not being called doctor by students, whereas male colleagues would be called doctor, mm -hmm. right? And, and that was something that I couldn't relate to at all. And yet it resonated. There was something about it that clicked. 
And so since intro, I just knew this was something I was passionate about. Still didn't fully understand what I was doing. Still thought social work was the path for me, but now having more of that kind of uh, inequality lens that was pulling me in. And so having more of a passion for sociology itself rather than the specific career path that I was headed towards. And so it was, it started with intro. <laughs> it started with intro to Soch. And I think what a lot of us here is having labels and theories and terms to apply to our actual lived experiences. That's what, that's what really pulled me in. Yeah, that's really cool. I would say that my similar, ex- I have a similar experience. You know, I took a class at uh, a community college. So Bakersfield College, that's where I went to for right out of high school. And yeah, I had an amazing teacher who, like you said, applied concepts to things that I had known about. Right. right. And so it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And what really drew me in even more was the fact that um, I could make sense of reality, you know, like right. you, you had mentioned like, oh, you know, I'm not the only one seeing this, that this is a general pattern that's happening. And sociology was really able to explain those patterns clearly so that I can understand them. And so that it really made sense of my lived experiences, you know? Uh, so that's really cool. So it sounds like, you know, we have like kind of like the same, uh, you know, interests going into sociology. So that's sociology. So that's really cool to hear. Um, so kind of going, um, you know, taking steps ahead, you know, after you took those introductory, introductory courses to sociology, you really got interested in the, in the major. Um, after graduating, what, what then made you decide to pursue your doctorate in sociology? Yeah, so funny enough, that's another thing I fell into. <laughs> it's kind of, I've, I've lucked out in a lot of ways that I've fallen into things that ended up being my passion. Um, so, you know, I mentioned that when I went into sociology, I thought that I wanted a career in social work. And as I learned more about what that was, I just, that's not something I could see myself doing. Um, just the, you know, emotional taxation that that takes on a person. It, it was just something that I couldn't see myself being able to handle. And so I started thinking about what other career paths I could see myself on. And I really had no idea. That's just not, I didn't enter college thinking necessarily about this as a means towards a, a career path. Even though I entered with social work, it was really like college is just something you check off the list type of thing. And But now that I was in something that I enjoyed, I thought, okay, wh- well, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually was in, I can't remember which sociology class it was, but they brought in um, a couple of professors to talk about what it means to be a professor and what you need to do to get there. And I'm not going to lie. The thing that pulled me in was, Hey, you get summers off (laughs) or most of the times you can get summers off. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. And so I started thinking about, all right, what do I need to do to get on that path? And, you know, I'd had also, it helps that I had really awesome experiences with some of the professors so far. And so I thought, why not? Um, And at that point too, I had started to get more into doing, Um, individual research. So I was also, you know, delving into the research side of sociology. So professor path seemed like the obvious answer. And so then, you know, and again, shout out to Dr. Dewey, and I always give her credit. She was like, you like research, you're, you know, you're good at writing, you enjoy it, you should look at grad school. Um, and, and it was her that even pointed out UC Merced had a PhD program. I'd never heard of UC Merced before that. Um, so that kind of just set me on a path of, all right, again, the career is professor. So the, the path towards that is a PhD in sociology. It, it's, it was like literally the same thing that happened in undergrad, but now for yet another degree. 
Right. Yeah. So that's really cool. You know, UC Merced, I think is pretty new. I mean, at least compared to other uh, UCs, right? Um, yeah, I think we've been officially around, I want to say for about 15 years now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. And so that, and a really cool fact, I think I had toured that campus before and it's like uh, mostly powered by renewable energy, right? Yes. So I think we're like top, top in the most, you know, sustainable campuses at this point. I, the benefit of, of building a completely new campus in this age is you can kind of establish those things from the jump. So yeah, it's, it's grown. So you should definitely visit it again because it keeps <laughs> I, growing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know they're, they're in, in, they're working on building a, a new project. I can't remember what the building was called, but that's really cool. The whole, I was just really amazed when I, when I toured that campus. And so, yeah, that's, that's a really cool story. So, you know, you had uh, other professors come in and really talk about their experiences and also summer is great. <laughs> I really enjoy it. But then, you know, you go into your PhD and you're like, hold on, wait, there's a catch. I have no summers when I'm a PhD student. Right. <laughs> and, you know, but, you know, you'll benefit from that later. So that's really cool. I, as of the, this recording, I don't, I don't have a PhD. And so I, I had been interested in, in the UC Merced program and which is why I was there touring it. So that's really cool. It's nice to hear about it. Yeah. Um, and so um, what were, I guess, you know, being in the program, what were some of the challenges uh, going into the program um, as an undergraduate to a graduate student? Can you explain what the transition looked like? Maybe some of the challenges and maybe how you overcame them? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely challenging, as you would expect. I, I don't think there's anything that you can really do to prepare for grad school. You know, <laughs> there's always going to be something that you miss. You know, I definitely was coming in strong and having experience with research. Um, you know, I conducted my own research project. So, so I definitely had a good knowledge of that, whereas I think some other students maybe didn't or they'd worked with other professors, but they didn't have kind of that hands-on experience. And even having that, there was just still... Uh, there was a benefit to going to UC Merced because the population there is really similar to what we have at CSUB and it wasn't this huge UC so I didn't feel just completely like that I guess culture shock of, of mm -hmm. going to this new institution that was so different it was really similar in a lot of ways um, but you know grad school is just a lot more demanding um, I operated through undergrad kind of you know for the first half of it of just needing to get done um, and I didn't really develop that passion until close to the end. And grad school is you absolutely need to have that passion because if you don't get yourself through, no one's really going to watch you and ensure that you're completing what you need to complete. So was, there was definitely that shift of, you know, being a lot more independent. Um, and, you know, there's also just that increased need to have a deeper understanding of sociological concepts. There were certain, you know, I'd taken all the classes in undergrad, but you're not really getting it, you know, in <laughs> undergrad as much as you do later. And so I had a pretty surface, at least seemingly in my eyes, surface level understanding of some of these concepts. And so, you know, there were moments when I was in classes where I felt extremely intimidated because people were rattling off these terms and these theories and these knowledges that I just didn't know or I'd heard of, but didn't, couldn't actually tell you what they meant. And mm -hmm. so there was definitely, you know, moments of just self-consciousness, that imposter syndrome coming in of feeling like maybe I'm not cut out for this, you know, Dr. Dugan was wrong. <laughs> I can't actually do this. Um, and, and I would say that was mostly the first year 
because I'm just, and, and it's also, you know, you're balancing taking a bunch of classes while also having these research commitments, while also TAing for a class if you do end up taking on a TA ship in grad school. And so it was also just a lot to have to balance while also feeling like I have a lot of knowledge I need to grow in some mm. of these areas. And so that first year was the hardest, but, you know, you start to get used to it. You start to just again, develop that language. You start to understand the language that people are speaking in these um, kind of like settings and and also reestablishing that confidence in my research. I think that was kind of the shock of grad school was, you know, you're going from maybe having very specific research interests to now having, you know, to take those theory classes again, to take some of those areas that you're not so confident in. And so it was also having to remember that I'm confident in the areas of research that I'm doing and kind of use that confidence to spill in, into all the other areas that I'm not so strong in because not sociologists aren't experts in everything. Mm. You do end up having those specialty areas. So okay. kind of having to, to remind myself that, um, but it was, it was difficult, but I would say I acclimated, you know, pretty quickly. And I think that was in part due again to UC Merced being in a lot of ways, really similar to CSUB. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So you mentioned things like uh, self-motivation, having a passion, right? And then that whole imposter syndrome, you know, that's definitely real for a lot of people, you know? Mm -hmm. I, you know, came from a uh, working class family. I was, uh, I think, one of two people that actually got, uh, went into a master's program and that same right. experience is what I had, you know? And for me, I was, uh, I don't know how, how you kind of went about it. For me, it was like, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take this class uh, I'm going to come back tomorrow <laughs> and see <laughs> okay. how it is. And if it's still okay, then I'll come back the next day. And then I took it day by day. It took it week by week. And then uh, soon enough came to a situation where I was like, I'm about, I'm about to finish my master's thesis. And right. you know, I thought back to those first days where I was just like, I'm just going to give it another day. I'm just, you know, just seeing each, each step instead of the whole picture was much right. easier for me, you know, and I had, like you said, there are people like tossing out concepts and terms and I'm like, am I supposed to be here? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the thing you learn, right? Is that I always say it and I, I don't know if I can curse on here or not, but yeah, you, you know, it's yeah, you it, like once you get into grad school, it's really just like the art of bullshitting in a smart way, right? Like yeah. you, know, you learn that those people that are throwing out those, ter those terms, it's not that they know more than you or that they're more intelligent. They're just bullshitting their way through as well. And they're, you know, also wanting to defeat their own imposter syndrome by sounding smart, mm -hmm. right? And so, mm -hmm. and so you realize that not everyone actually knows more than you, you know, and, and if they act like they do, they don't. <laughs> like yeah. they're all actually in the same boat as you. And it is, you just, you get through it day by day and you'll never know everything. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of the point right of this whole lifelong learner thing that we're all doing is mm -hmm. that you're never actually going to know everything and you just you really do just kind of learn to bullshit where you need to because <laughs> there are some things that you're just not going to need you know I'm a passionate qualitative person quantitative isn't for me stats just mm -hmm. isn't for me my brain doesn't comprehend those things and I had to learn that doesn't mean that I'm less intelligent Right. And it's right. just, all right, I'll bullshit my way through these stats classes <laughs> and through these, you know, through like these quantitative pieces of work that I have to do. But ultimately I know what I'm really good at and I know what I'm really passionate about. And that's that's where I'll kind of like bring myself back to remember that I am good at this. I'm just good at this piece of it. 
Yes. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So like kind of going in there, knowing that you're not going to master everything, but you do have strengths. You do have strengths in, in different areas. And those are the things that you tend to focus on. So that's really cool. Um, and you mentioned that uh, the program, or I guess the campus is, is similar to CCB and not having like a culture shock or anything like that. Does that, uh, do you feel like your instructors were, um, I guess more, more open and more available like you would see on like the CSUB campus? Yeah, definitely. And I even see it, you know, from working with undergrads that they have pretty good access to our faculty, which mm -hmm. I think isn't common at other UCs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the faculty are actually here. <laughs> They're actually <laughs> teaching yeah. their courses. You know, we haven't completely gotten to the point where students aren't interacting with faculty and mostly just grad students, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so it's, I think for both the undergrad and the grad experience, you get to have much more of a hands-on, you know, relationship with your faculty. Um, and so I definitely felt, you know, as guided as I needed to be. I mean, the benefit was also, you know, finding faculty that work the same way you work. So I'm not like a person that likes to be micromanaged. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was lucky enough to have faculty who did not micromanage me, but <laughs> also guided me like just the right amount. Yeah. Um, so I definitely felt support. And I would also say even more than the faculty, it was also the other grad students um, you mm -hmm. know, there were a bunch of other grad students of color, a bunch of other first gen grad students and having that was so validating um, because there just wasn't that sense of, from what I've heard of other, you know, people in other programs of like that competitive nature, we all really were just trying to get by. Like there was, there was support um, and the faculty themselves, at least in my experience, didn't also kind of support that competitive environment. It was very mm -hmm. much like, we're a small department that hasn't been around that long. We're all growing together. So we're going to make it work. And, you know, I, I will say that there is less, unfortunately, this is just what happens, you know, yeah. in, in universities, there wasn't as much diversity in the faculty. Um, mm -hmm. So most of the faculty that I worked with were white. Um, and, you know, I, that's just unfortunately yeah. kind of how the system is definitely something that needs to be improved, but, and not to say I didn't have support, but I just ended up finding more of that support with the grad students um, because mm. we all understood exactly what that imposter syndrome felt like. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was, I think what made my experience that much more, that much easier to address to compared to if I had gone somewhere else where you know, that experience just didn't align or there just wasn't that understanding for, you know, specific underprivileged backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So I think that more than anything was, was the most helpful. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, having, definitely having a cohort that's not competitive, but really going to build each other up is definitely yeah. something that is helpful. So yeah, so I, I mean, if, uh, you know, students, I think it's important to really grab onto a cohort uh, so that way you can work together because uh, many minds is better than one mind, right? You can kind of exchange ideas, interpretations of the readings and the text. And right. so that's really cool. I work on a really small campus, uh, CCB AV, not sure if you've heard of it, the satellite campus yeah. in Bakersfield. And mm -hmm. I've noticed that that's a, a pattern among those students because it's so small, it's so easy to create these really small like study groups and cohorts that, you know, they work really well together. I know that that is, it really improves their grades as, um, and I think that if you're trying to navigate it, especially if, you know, you're, you're a first generation uh, graduate student going into these mm -hmm. classes, um, the imposter syndrome is, is a real thing and it can scare you off, you know, but 
I think it was really cool that, you know, you had a group that can validate your experiences and really can relate to you. Um, mm-hmm. And so that that's kind of a similar experience that I had. You know, I had a really great group with me that uh, I was able to exchange ideas about a question. If I was confused about something, um, we can just sit and talk about it. And it was really cool. I remember the late nights and uh, just being so tired and beat down and just going insane um and you know I I remember one of my friends was running with a blanket in the computer lab and I was like man we're a hot mess (laughs) and so you know it's really cool to have those friendships and those those really those cohorts those group of people that can build you up rather than than compete yeah Um, and that was definitely the benefit of of UC Merced being relatively small you know my housemate that I live with is a grad student from another program um, and she and I have been able to connect really well as well, because again, shared backgrounds, shared experiences. Um, and then even within my program, I could even, you know, reach out to senior students, you know, students who are in their fifth, sixth year, um, every step, like when I needed, Hey, do you have an example of your master's thesis? Cause I don't know what mm-hmm. mine's supposed to look like. And they would, I never encountered anyone who wouldn't gladly share their past wow. work. Um, so that was also, you know, just the wider departmental support. And again, because we all get it because they were there doing it for the first time and freaking out. And if they could have had someone to ask, they would have. So right. and even now, you know, I had a student share with me her dissertation because I'm like, I don't wow. know what this needs to look like. So there's there's that support even beyond cohorts. That's been super awesome to have. And because it's so small, we're, we're all able to connect with each other relatively often. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think, I think it's awesome to have, you know. And um, so you, you had been talking a little bit about, you know, research and, and dissertations. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about your research and what you're currently doing? Yeah. So initially, when I started my program, um, I was doing a project that I had started at CSUB um, about Muslim American attitudes towards homosexuality. Um, that was the project, again, that kind of spurred my passion further. It was what, you know, made Dr. Dugan look at me and say, you need to do grad school. Mm-hmm. So uh, and when I applied to the program, I highlighted that project, you know, said that I would continue it. So you know, for those first two years for my master's, I continued that project and just did kind of a, a, a larger version of it. Um, and and then from there, my research interests shifted a bit, um, largely because of that project, because when I was speaking to participants, specifically the women who were in my study, there was a lot of talk around kind of their own, you know, separate from their opinions on homosexuality, just kind of the own their own work that they've had to do just being a Muslim woman in the US and the navigating of negative stereotypes. And it just kept coming up. And I was like, I can't ignore this. I need, I need to look at this further. And so mm-hmm. I shifted my research a bit still on the Muslim population, but specifically looking at Muslim American women in higher education. And that's, that's what I'm currently working on. Um, And I had also taken classes in education and that sounded really interesting to me. You know, I'd obviously been through my own weird journey through education and somehow ended up here. So I was really interested in exploring that a bit further. Um, And just largely I'm I'm interested in um, kind of just higher education as an institution and specifically students of color and marginalized students and their experiences within this institution. So that's what I'm currently working on right now as my dissertation project. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so it's a, you said you were a qualitative type of researcher. So I'm assuming you're going out and collecting data and 
in the form of interviews or? Yes. Yeah. So I've done interviews. The, the goal pre-COVID, I wanted to also do, you know, some ethnographic observations, but everything had to happen virtually. So <laughs> yeah. all of my interviews were conducted over Zoom. So, so I had to focus on that as my one kind of uh, piece of data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. And you're, you said you were just on the, you're about to complete it, right? You're about to finish your PhD yes. program and that's yes. including your dissertation or? Yeah. So it's been a bit of an expedited process, um, largely because I have potential opportunities that I could have if I finish my PhD earlier. Yeah. So I'm trying to capitalize on that. Um, and yeah, so the goal is to finish this May, uh, which will put me at just five years, which is very not common <laughs> in sociology. I think the average is like seven years to complete. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, I wouldn't have done it this way if I didn't have to. It's definitely been really, really fast. Um, so I'm, you know, cur- literally like going to be writing it up to the day that I have to turn it in type of thing. So mm-hmm. like I have two more chapters to go before mm-hmm. my defense in May. So it's, it's an expedited process for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. And so, yeah, I had heard that sociology uh, PhD programs were uh, several years, right? So you said the average was seven years. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. So yours is like, you took more of a fast track uh, and you said you don't recommend? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, you know, it's definitely, it's funny because in undergrad, I took the slow track. I took five years. Okay. Um, and so then I got here and decided to do it faster. <laughs> um, but again, I, I'm only doing it because I know I have potential career opportunities that right. I don't want to let go of. And as a grad student, you don't make a lot of money. I think that should also be made clear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you do make money as a PhD student, but not a lot. And so I'm, I'm ready to make more and to make a real salary. Um, and so that's the only reason if I didn't have you know, an actual potential career waiting for me, then I would not have, have sped it up as much. I would have maybe taken another year. I could have probably done six years. Okay. Um, but if you don't need to do it faster, <laughs> I don't recommend it. Yeah. But if you can, why not? No harm in that either. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that I wanted to ask a question. You had mentioned something about uh, not getting paid as much as a PhD student. And so uh, one of the questions that I think people have what I have uh, too. So this is more kind of a personal question <laughs> for me to benefit me. Yeah. But uh, how do you, how does that, what does that look like? What funds the PhD? What, how do you get funds or um, because I hear that um, you're not living in a luxurious lifestyle, right? No. Uh, definitely not as a PhD. So what does that look like? I guess, financially. Yeah, so that was one of the things that pulled me in as well, you know, not having direction post undergrad, I was like, all right, from what I've heard, with PhDs, you're, you're, you secure your funding for at least five years. And so I was like, that, that's, that's what pulled me in as well, is I don't know what job I want. So let me go somewhere where I know they're going to pay me. Mm -hmm. And so the way most PhD programs operate, and this is not all, especially depending on, you know, larger schools, or, and I don't know how schools out of state, operate either so I know more in detail of the UC system specifically because it's the same across all the UCs so if you're a PhD student you're funded through either a teaching assistant position or a graduate student researcher position Um, and the way that works is by having that position your tuition is paid for 
Mm -hmm. um, so you don't have to take out loans to pay your way through schooling. So your tuition is paid for. You also do get like health insurance benefits because you're it's that weird space of you're technically a student. You're also technically an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, so along with your tuition being paid for and, and health insurance benefits, you then also get monthly pay, which is kind of technically operates as a stipend, but you essentially get paid every month. Mm-hmm. Um, and across the UCs, it's the same, which if, if you've been attuned at all to that being problematic because cost of living varies. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. what I get paid is very, it, it goes a long way in Merced because the cost of living in Merced is at least currently relatively low compared to, let's say, if you went to UCLA, yeah, right. Um, your stipend, half of that, maybe more would go towards rent. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you typically starting out, you know, I don't care about numbers. I'm always really transparent because you can literally look it up. Um, Starting out, you typically make about 2,100 a month. Mm -hmm. Um, And and again, that's only through the academic year because then summers you have to kind of figure out additional ways of funding or find positions that you can work to to secure funding um and then once you uh advance to candidacy after your three year after your third year you get a little bit of a pay bump so then you make about 2300 a month so again emmer said that's gone a long way for me i'm able to even put money away i have savings um but if if i lived elsewhere it i would probably most likely have to take out loans just for basic needs. So that's something that I would have never thought to even consider. Um, It just worked out that I came here and was able to survive on that. But if I had gone elsewhere, you know, I would have had to take out quite a few loans. Um, And I have had to occasionally, you know, just expenses come up, but not nearly as much as I would have had to elsewhere. Um, So you have that, you know, monthly, and then there's always like opportunities to apply for fellowships or grants. Um, you know, some people are able to get fellowships where they don't have to TA or do graduate student research. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that frees up some of their time. Um, and mm-hmm. so, and then, like I said, over the summer, you kind of have to figure out your own funding, um, whether that's through, you know, grants, fellowships, things like that. Um, or, you know, you find an opportunity to do research with a faculty who has funding that they can pay you with. Wow. Um, so summers can be a bit stressful for sure. Cause you have to think ahead of time of what you're going to do to get through the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see said being small, there is sometimes extra funding that grad students get. It's still not enough to get you through the whole summer. So I've always had some type of position every single summer, whether that was you know, an opportunity on campus, like they have maybe summer programs where they need grad mentors, so they'll pay us. Mm -hmm. Or I've worked as a graduate student researcher with faculty who had the money to pay me. So summers can be a bit stressful figuring out how to get through. Um, But you do get paid, you know, through the academic year, at least. Um, And like I said, depending on where you're going, it's not a lot. And depending on the school you're going to, you know, they might offer you secured funding for four years, and then we can't promise you what happens after that. We'll try to fund you, but we can't promise you. Right. Um, or in some programs, I've even heard just one year. They just guarantee you the first year. And then, yikes! you know, after that, they have, right? So it, so really, like, those are small things that you have to really consider as well. You know, what do they end up, an offer alone isn't enough. What's the financial package that they're offering you? How long is that financial package? Um, what do other grad students at that school experience, you know, do they get cut off after the four years or do they actually continue to get funded? Um, you know, things like that. And those are, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. So those are questions I didn't ask. 
Uh Um, And it, like I said, it ended up just working out because Merced is pretty affordable. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. And yeah, so it sounds like you, you chose the right program that was fit for you, right? You were able to, like you said, put money away. You live in a certain area that it's not uh, very demanding. You can afford rent and your basic necessities yeah. and stuff like that. You also yeah. mentioned healthcare. That's, that's really cool. So for somebody with a family that's pursuing a PhD, they don't just have to drop their, their healthcare benefits, right? And so they, right. you get certain benefits as well like that. Yeah. And that's again, all in this through the UC. I don't know about other right. systems, but yeah, you have a health insurance package. I don't know what exactly it offers for, you know, if you have dependents, cause I don't have any, but I know that that is an option. Um, you also can waive the health insurance they offer you and keep what you have if you prefer your own health insurance. Oh, so mm-hmm. yeah. And I will say the health insurance that we do have is pretty decent. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm able to get most of my you know needs covered pretty small co-pays for things. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been a pretty positive experience in that realm too. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. And uh, very, thank you for that insight. I think that's really helpful for, you know, students that are um, really interested in a PhD program, but either thinking, you know, this isn't for me through the imposter syndrome. Uh, we've, you know, we've kind of addressed that. And then also can, how do I actually afford it? Um, I think those are topics that, you know, were very helpful. So thank you for that information. Yeah. Money is important, (laughs) especially as like money is important, especially to those of us that are first gen it's the finances tend to drive us a lot. So I I try to be as transparent as possible with that because I know it's big. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, money is important, but uh, um, when you graduate, you have more money, right? Yes, that is the goal. That's the purpose of putting yourself through this many years of schooling is the idea is it'll pay off. Yeah, Uh, that's, that's always the goal. Yeah, but don't they say more money, more problems? (laughs) Yeah, different problems. Yeah, so I'll take I'll take the different kind of problems that come with it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. All right. Awesome. Uh, So um, what would you know, I guess what would be some advice that um, you would give somebody that's either is just considering going into a PhD program or even a graduate, uh, you know, master's program in sociology. Um, is there any advice that you think you could give them or anything that comes to, to mind? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind, and I touched on it a bit, is it definitely has to be something that you care about and are passionate mm-hmm. about, because it, it is a lot. <laughs> it's definitely a lot of work. It can be, you know, draining in so many ways. Um, and again, depending on where you end up going, there are even challenges that I haven't even touched on. Um, it, it can be difficult. And so it has to be in a field that you do have a passion for, because that's that's literally the thing that's gotten me through when it has gotten really difficult is I really care about this. I'm really passionate about it. And I genuinely can't actually see myself doing something else. And so this has to work. And mm-hmm. so you definitely have to have, you know, at the very least, like a research interest that really drives you um, because it, it can get really challenging. And so it ultimately has to be worth it. Um, and the other piece of advice that I always give, especially now that I'm kind of learning a bit more as I come towards finishing my degree is, you know, PhDs aren't just for professors. Um, there are, you know, don't feel limited as though you have to want to be a professor um, mm-hmm. by getting, you know, through getting your PhD. There are a whole bunch of career opportunities that open up because you have your PhD. Um, you know, 
because what the PhD signals to, you know, people looking to hire you is that you are someone that A, is an expert in research. Um, and that's super valuable. And so there are so many other opportunities for someone who does research that aren't, that isn't just professor. Um, and, and that's if you don't want that, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a professor, but just in case you're thinking, hey, I want to continue this, but I don't know if I want to be a professor. Um, then you have, you know, this, this other pathway to just expand on your knowledge until you figure out what you want to do. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I wanted to be a professor when I got into it. And then I slowly kind of shifted, um, you know, maybe wanting a career in nonprofit, maybe wanting a career in more administrative work in higher education. That's mm -hmm. kind of what I've been exploring currently. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so grad school gives you an opportunity to grow those skills, those research skills, while also kind of giving you a window of time to explore potential career opportunities at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I currently work at UC Merced, I work as a grad student researcher in the Office of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion. Um, and that was a career path I'd never thought about once again, it's not something that I'd considered. And now I'm really driven to get a career specifically in equity and diversity. And that, mm -hmm. that goes in so many sectors that can be a nonprofit, that can be in corporate, mm -hmm. that can be in higher ed. And by having a, this PhD to back me, but then also this experience, I'm super marketable to all these different sectors. Right. Um, so also just, you know, being, uh, not feeling so limited by what a PhD means and, and what career path that could lead you down um, and not being scared to change your mind if your ideas of a career change, because that has happened to me, obviously, multiple mm -hmm. times through yeah. undergrad and through grad school. So it's, you know, don't, don't feel like you're, you're tied down to, to one thing if you do decide to pursue grad school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's, uh, that's a lot of people think, a lot of, uh, what a lot of people think about, you know, well, if I go into PhD, I'm, I'm really limited to just teaching and teaching sociology. And so, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It, it, you know, you're not limited. People actually value you because now you're considered an expert in that field especially in, in, I guess it depends on the direction you want to go into, you know, you had mentioned, right. um, you know, going into nonprofit stuff like that, even corporate, uh, you know, you're the sociology majors are well-versed and trained in research and collecting yeah. data, evaluating data, interpreting data. And that's stuff that people want. That's stuff that people like, they really, uh, sorry, I have my son screaming. No <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, um, that's something that people value you know, um, and to the ability to do that. And I think sociology students are well-trained in that and therefore valuable and marketable. Um, yeah. No matter if you're a qualitative or quantitative researcher, you know, you're, you're valuable in, in each way, you know? And so, right. yeah, that's really cool. And so I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story with us. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to reading your dissertation if you're willing to share it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, of course. Uh, Fingers crossed it, that yeah. it gets done yeah. <laughs> by the time it needs to. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, love to have you back on to talk about more about your research if you're willing. And I know um, I asked a little briefly about your research, but I know we have, you know, a little bit of time here, but I'd love to hear more about it and, you know, what you found. And I think that that'd be really cool if you're interested. So again, yeah, I, I really appreciate, appreciate having you on and thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Talk with the Sociologist podcast. Make sure to check out other episodes for more stories of the lives of sociologists.